afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to the very first episode of the Fade to Black podcast. My name is Amon Warman and in early 2020 I had an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. Hannah Flint. Hello. And Clarice Lockery. Hi. Answered that call and became my fellow Avengers. Almost like a mad titan, the COVID-19 pandemic came out of nowhere and decimated our plans. Oh no. So we had to take a step back and adapt to the new status quo. Hannah changed her hair color more times than Black Widow. Clarice pulled a wonder and retreated into an insular fantasy world where she could harbor her chaotic magic. What up, depression? <laughs> Just means I had depression. That's it. <laughs> I relate. I relate to Wonka. And we all took a leaf out of Hulk's book and got a lot smarter, and in some cases, thicker. Oh my god, definitely the latter. <laughs> I am so dumb right now. You would not believe it. Now it's March 2021 and we are officially live, ready to discuss the latest releases, speak with the people who made them, and break down the hottest of takes film Twitter has been getting itself in a tizzy over. So ladies, how are we doing? Yeah, doing good, doing good. How are you doing, Amon? I'm doing good. I'm more excited and I'm better for speaking to you lovely ladies. I know. Uh, so yes, Thank you. Uh, excited to finally get this podcast started. I know, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? I feel like we need to point out that this was not a lockdown hobby thing because I know everyone's <laughs> starting a podcast yeah. and everyone's going to think, oh, they're just doing a podcast because they're bored in lockdown. No, we've been planning this pre-COVID like COVID yeah. being a thing that we knew about. So yeah. I just want to... And I think for us, we, we kind of... We decided not to go ahead because we didn't know what was going to happen, whether we, people would be back in cinemas. And we really wanted to kind of, put, you know, for us, we want people to see as many movies in cinemas. So we thought, oh, let's just wait. And then, you know, it just didn't end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're bored of waiting now. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's been so lovely. Uh, it seems a lot of people have been very keen on this dream team. And I'm just very excited for us to chat. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, we could not wait any longer. We had to give the people what they want. So, without any further ado, uh, today's agenda we will be reviewing Coming to America, uh, the sequel, uh, Coming to America, uh, we should say, uh, which is on Amazon Prime Video. We, we will be reviewing Moxie, which is on Netflix, and we will be reviewing Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon. We will also give our verdict on the WandaVision finale and deliver our hot takes on spoiler culture. That is a chat I am particularly excited to have because I know that people have strong thoughts. But anyway, let's do this. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. So that was the trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon. It's directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada, and it takes place in the land of Kumandra, where long ago, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. Uh, but then an evil force called the Droom threatened the land, and the dragons had to sacrifice themselves to save humanity, leaving, a, leaving behind a gem to protect Kumandra's citizens. 
Uh, but when warring factions in the present day shattered that gem, the Dream returned and it's up to Lone Warrior Raya, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, to revive the water dragon Sisu, voiced by Orkafina, so they can reassemble the gem and save everyone. Clarice, what did you make of this? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I It always feels weird to come away from uh, a Disney movie, a Disney princess movie for me, and not feel like totally overwhelmed and in love with it. So I, I was a bit like, oh, like I really liked that, but I'm not totally obsessed with it. What I wonder what that could mean. And then I had to kind of spend the next few hours slash day trying to figure it out. And I think to to sum it up in the briefest way I can, it's I I feel like because it's not a musical and we're so used to these princess movies having songs in them, I wonder whether Disney kind of panicked a little bit and then went very, very familiar with a lot of the other elements. That's the sort of vibe that I got from it. Yeah, I um yeah, I think I I, I warmed up to it for sure. I think the opening as much it was, it was most it was meant to be this quite emotionally impactful moment between her and her father. You know, kind of oh god, the beginning of like this whole crisis. Yeah, it didn't it didn't move me as much as the end did. Like the end bit, there was one moment, and it was the most it was the most the smallest gesture, and then there it was. I was like, there's Disney, there's the mouse. There's a mouse triggering my waterworks. Good. Oh, I, I thought I, I thought I got away with it, but no, they like suck you in, they pull you back in. But yeah, I think there was something maybe missing. And I think I don't know. Um, you know, when I th- when I think about this, it kind of feel there's like a brave feel to it, isn't it? It's like the warrior, the lone warrior who has to kind of you know find herself, and you know it just. But I think with brave, it felt a bit. More, there was a bit more humor even from the beginning. It was very quite serious in tone. But then when you kind of introduced the new characters, it actually brought that levity. You know, we saw the little baby <laughs> with her mon- her monkey friends. You know, um, the um, the one the character that Benedict Wong plays, the big I can't remember what his name is, but you know, introducing this kind of new family to work together, I thought that was really kind of made me more invested um, in the story more than I was at the beginning. And I also kind of felt um, they should have got um, a younger voice actor to to voice Kelly, to voice Raya at the beginning because she had a very adult voice at the beginning. Because <laughs> I think she's got a gorgeous voice, but it's very, it's so emotional and powerful. And actually it needed a younger voice. You know, in Frozen, you have young Anna voiced by someone else. Um, we've seen it in The Lion King as well. And I think actually, if you're going to have a ch- child, because I was like, oh, isn't she supposed to be like 10 or something? And that didn't, that, that for me, that didn't work quite as well. Maybe that's why I lost the connection because I didn't really see her as a child. I saw her as like a kind of already a woman. I'm not a girl. Not, not yet. Not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I... I that's a really interesting point. Um, I in general loved Kelly Marie Tran's performance. It's amazing what she can do when she actually has dialogue to say. Uh, oh. you know, when King uh, set, set a movie there, <laughs> oh, I'm it just begins. saying. It begins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, similar could be said of Aquafina. I really enjoyed her performance. I think she has some great improvisational moments that really fit that character very well. Uh, and the animation is stellar all the way through. This is a film that I wish I could have seen in a cinema because it is beautiful. Um, but I like the fight choreography as well. Uh, Raya has this sword that extends and that uh, sort of leads to a lot of really cool visual moments and the camera is being very, very energetic in those sequences in particular. The thing that held me back from really loving this movie was two things. 
one, the message was very one note. Um, it's, it's interesting mm. because Soul, um, the Disney animation before that, I think it had far too much on its mind. I think I think that would have benefited from being a bit simpler. This is the opposite. I think it could have been a lot more. I would, I would have liked it to be a little bit a little bit more complex on what I was trying to say. And then the message itself, which is one of trust, I think think is a bit too simple. Um, it's about trusting your enemies. It's about taking the first step, and they sort of repeat that. Um, but when I think about the Disney film that that really sort of top top my list in terms of the the best uh, sort of animation, uh, I think of the Cocos, the Ratatouilles. The messages in those films resonate in a big way beyond the film itself. I think the message in this film works in the world of the film, but in the real world, the message is just too simple uh, to me to really resonate and move mm -hmm. me and push it to the push it up the list of my favorite animated films and yeah. so so i'm i'm very much in the like not love uh column for this mm -hmm. one i agree with you i uh, you know now i think about it i think you're right because if you think about you know you say coco there what i love about that is like families like you know and heritage that's so important and when you when you watch uh, raya that's that's kind of the similar things are going on. It's actually what I like about it. It's like your family is who you make it. And I think that's a, such a beautiful message, really, that you can have bonding. And I thought the connection. So I get it's like, I think they could have had that. They could have done the trust, but also, you know, open yourself up to everyone else. And that would have been such a beautiful kind of message, message, especially for what, you know, all the characters we saw. And, you know, the fact she wants to, she wants to go back to her dad. She wants to, you know, um, the dragon Sisu wants to get her, like her siblings back, you know? So I think you're right there. It could have done a bit more, but I, th and also what you said, I really wanted, I think I might've enjoyed this far more if it was on a big screen. The animation is so beautiful. The way the dragons like, like dance and uh, run across the sky. It's just, oh, it was so, so pretty. I, I honestly, it was so soothing. You could just put this, you could actually just turn the sound off and just have it as a screen, like a background. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to look at the lovely, pretty colors. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree, but I think my, my thing with the message is that it's so important to teach kids to, to, be open and and trust each other and make the first step but i it felt like the movie didn't do enough to explain the work that goes into it because it, what i got was sort of the characters were all telling raya oh you have to learn to trust you have to learn to trust people you have to learn to trust people but she didn't really have that th that sense of effort to it it was just like Okay, yeah, I guess I will trust people, but I feel like it's it's not really that simple, and mm. it requires investment and it requires like a, a sort of emotional labor to it, which I think if you compare it to yeah to other Disney movies are quite good at showing the emotional labor that goes into maintaining relationships. Like that's the reason I really like Frozen is that it really goes into what it takes. And I don't have a sister, but I get it <laughs> from watching that movie. It's like it it really delves into the the work that goes between those two characters because they love each other deeply but it's never that easy and they have to mm. keep working on it and mm. I, I yeah I felt like that was just there was just like something missing from it here in that level mm. Mm. I also find it very weird when um actors voice actors are cast and they don't use you can't recognize their voice so like Gemma Chan 
uh, was playing the kind of the 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 antagonist, I suppose, to um, Kelly Marie's uh, Trans Raya. And, you know, she does an American accent. I mean, I get that they want to do it, but I just felt like, what if, you know, it's like when Benedict Cumberbatch did The Grinch. You're like, why is Benedict Cumberbatch doing this accent to play The Grinch? I mean, I suppose, you know, you know, I, I suppose people enjoy doing voice work and stuff. But it just feels like, I'm always like, where are you? <laughs> you're not a voice actor. You know, you're not getting, you're not the point. I always feel like the point is that you want to hear their voice, like who they are, rather than, I don't know, maybe. Maybe I suppose I should not kind of hold animation to a different standard to what I hold live action. I mean, you mentioned the voice acting there. We should mention that uh, even though the story is rooted in Southeast Asian folklore, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon has come under some criticism because much of the voice cast is actually East Asian. And mm. that it's seems just, like valid criticism weird. It's yeah. just weird. Yeah. Like Disney had this, I, I find the way that Disney approached like cultural authenticity, like really interesting because on some level, they're so precise about it. And like the fight styles, it's like the Muay Thai, they're really taking the time to study it. How does it look? How does it operate? And, and you can see the care they put into it. And then when it comes to the voice cast, they're like, Nah, just kidding. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It's like why? It's so inconsistent, and and I just find it really, like really fascinates me that there's like different levels of value when it comes to to pursuing this thing that they do hold as like a Disney value. This idea of authenticity mm. and inclusivity. It's like, but why is it so inconsistent all of the time? <laughs> I, I do find it interesting though when you. Like, look at something like any time, you know, Lion King or Black Panther, you know, most of that cast is made up with African-Americans. They're not, made, like, they are, they're, you know, black actors, but they're not actually, you know, Lupita Nyong'o, of course. And then um, uh, John, I forget his second name, um, who plays T'Challa's dad, you know, he's John South Carney. African. John Carney, he's South African. So in a way, it's like, sometimes I'm, I, I, I always wonder is should everyone should it all be I, I find it quite interesting what like no one no one has an issue with that I suppose no one has an issue that Chadwick Bosman is playing you know obviously he's got you know roots but he's growing up his whole life you know the diaspora so these are diaspora actors so I'm always interesting like can should we go as hard because you know isn't aren't these steps you know I, I'm all for diversity and representation of course but sometimes you know I think I, I don't know, maybe I, I kind of want to give them slight benefit of the doubt here, the fact that there aren't any white actors at all in it. You know what I mean? That's, for me, that speaks... That is true. That's so <laughs> yeah. good. When, yeah, so and, that. you know, <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's, I don't think that, I think it's such a, a hard, um, it's such a hard thing to kind of say what's right or wrong because actually it's, it's such a, it's not an easy conversation anyway to get it, to get it perfect and it can't fit every single person. But I get, I get the, I can yeah. understand the criticism and it's good to talk about it because then it's like, well, where are, where are, you know, there are Southeast Asian actors out there, you know, are people, are casting directors doing the job to put them in the room to, to have a chance? Yeah. Cause I guess it's like the, the idea there is, is this happens a lot that people just condense like all of Asia to be like Asia it's all the same when obviously mm. it's not and there's like so many different countries that are vastly different I, I think that's that's been a lot of yeah and then like it goes back to that bit it's like you you put so much care in, into the movie you know isn't mixing all Asian culture together um, hey, so look! Yeah, I had to like... deal with I had to deal with Aladdin. Which what the <laughs> yeah. what what on the fuck is that? Like, well. is it still even now? I'm mm. like, 
is it Indian? Like, <laughs> like I love the conceit of the Silk Road. It's like, yeah, let's throw them all in there. You know, it's fine. It's a Silk Road. They're all merchants, you know. So, you know, I, I suppose for me, from my perspective, I kind of, uh, it's like, I just like to get one <laughs> movie that was authentically like <laughs> Arab, <Yeah. laughs> you know, just one, that'd be great. So I, you know, but you know what? I love that that's the point we're at now where we could actually have, there are movies that, now where you can say hey actually we want to do better and that's you know progress so so yeah now i'm sh- i'm sure this is a conversation we will be returning to repeatedly <laughs> uh down the line but the time has come to rate raya and the last dragon and we have our own rating system Woo! Woo! i'm just i'm just imagining that's what <laughs> that's what people listening are going to be saying at this point uh, <laughs> each week they're going to be like damn what's the fate of black rating gonna be like i've got screen i've got skip oh. <laughs> uh so uh our rating system screen uh when uh we are we're allowed back in cinemas on that glorious day screen will mean heading to the cinema and watching uh, the films we are talking about on the big screen. Uh, in this instance, screen means paying uh, the £20 you would need plus your Disney Plus subscription to watch Ryan the Last Dragon right now. Stream in this instance would be if you were to wait until the 4th of June, uh, then you would be able to watch Ryan the Last Dragon without having to pay uh, £20 extra. And skip is self-explanatory. It means you should never, ever watch the movie (laughs) gonna go to your grave having never seen raya the last dragon (laughs) (laughs) so with that said hannah screen stream or skip um i reckon stream um wait for it to come out on disney plus on june 4th if you've got a family and you want something to watch to keep the kids entertained, you know what? Pay extra. It's a nice thing. You would pay that to go to the cinema. Um, but I don't know if I if I was a single person uh, on my own paying 20 quid to area, I might just like wait. So, you know, that's my stream it, but potentially screen it. <laughs> <laughs> Very definitive, Hannah. <laughs> Clarice, where do we stand? <laughs> I mean, I feel like families at this point, I I feel you and you'll probably just want to put on anything, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like you're a whole other category of just, yes, it's colourful. It's colourful. The children will not be screaming during it. <laughs> um, I, yeah, as, as a film critic, I would say stream... Like, it, I, yeah, I feel like it's something you can wait a little bit of time for. Yeah, it's interesting because if the big screen option was available, I would say screen without hesitation. Mm. Uh, as, as, as we mentioned, this movie is beautiful. And even though it's being released now, I hope that it does get re-released in cinemas when the cinemas reopen in a couple of months because it is that beautiful. Uh, but in this instance, I would say stream um, because, you know, even though I've got like a really sort of, calls of you know uh system at home uh it just can't fully replicate uh that experience and 20 pounds is a lot of money to be spending on a film to watch at home uh so i would go stream wait until the 4th of june uh and then watch raya and the last dragon then but now it's time to discuss moxie here's a clip me and my friends protested everything we made a ton of mistakes but you're glad you did it all right of course. What are you gonna do? Nothing? That girl thinks she's the queen of the Whoever 
Moxie is a badass. You know what's messed up? I got sent home for wearing a tank top. Meanwhile, Jason is constantly shirtless. People refuse to call me by my new name. I don't like being voted best ass. It says to draw hearts and stars on your hands to show support. So it's it's based off a book by Jennifer Mathia and it's about a shy 60-year-old girl who, fed up with the sexist and toxic status quo at her high school, finds inspiration from her mother's rebellious past and anonymously publishes a zine that sparks a school-wide coming-of-age revolution. So I feel like we have slightly different opinions on this one, so it'll be interesting to get into it. Uh, Amon, how did you feel about it? Again, this is one that I liked uh, but didn't love. Uh, I did really, really like um, all the young actresses involved and I really sort of felt invested in their cause and I thought that was very good. I particularly enjoyed Nico Hirata's performance as uh, sort of the love interest to uh, Vivian. Uh, I thought he was charming and just a very fun presence on screen. Uh, and it was nice to have that because Patrick Schwarzenegger, he played the ass of this film very, very well, but my gosh, did I want to punch Mitchell in the face from the moment I saw him on screen, because wow, that guy is a lot. Um, but I just, I felt that um, I, I wish I would have done more with some of the female characters in terms of um, representation, because you had a trans girl in there, you had a girl uh, in the wheelchair, she's part of the film, but they feel very incidental to the proceedings. And I thought that was a shame. Uh, but on the whole, I did enjoy it. Mm. Hannah, how did you, are you agreeing? Disagreeing? No, so as a, as, as a film, as a story, you know, the whole drive of it, I thought it was really well done. And it, I really related to so much of it. I think, I do think like women are gonna relate to this film far more than men of just because that was our reality. There's so much about that that feels, that felt viscerally real. Um, you know, the kind of the idea that men or boys are, you know, they're annoying is such a euphemism for them actually being toxic, horrible, damaging individuals. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was very well. I really like Amy Poehler. Um, you know, she kind of, I think this is like her straightest. I feel she was so straight in this. It was, it's kind of after seeing her as being the cool mom. I mean, she still is the cool mom. Very much so. <laughs> she's like the actual cool mom. Yeah, yeah. She's, <laughs> she's, she's like, she's, you're doing amazing, sweetie. I was waiting for that, but no, I thought it was good. So I think just to, you know, um, to jump off the back of what Amon said, um, you know, this is, it's, you know, they've tried to have representation and they've included it. Um, but as much as this felt like a really relatable story, it did feel that even though it, you know, shows intersectionality with, you know, like you said, uh, trans, a trans character, you know, there was a disabled character in there, a female character. We had, you know, you know, we had three black women, um, not just black women, black Latina women as well. So we're seeing, you know, you know, seeing um, East Asian women in there. It was great. I love that. But it just didn't feel like, um, it felt tokenistic because we didn't see anything about their backgrounds. You know, we had um, Claudia, who was Lauren's, played by Lauren Sai, who is the best friend of our lead, Hadley Robson, uh, Vivian. Um, and we kind of have a moment there and we see her parents. But, you know, this is part of a movement. And actually it's uh, the Lucy Hernandez character, who's a new girl who kind of inspires Vivian. It's not just about her mom inspiring her. It's this new girl, Lucy, who basically says, keep your head high. Um, and played by Alicia Pascual Peña. And we don't understand any of her background. We don't hear it. You don't know who her parents are. We don't, we don't see them. And that's the same for several of the other 
characters. I'm not saying you have to show them, but it just felt like this is supposed to be um, a film about kind of speaking up and voices of the 20, you know, 21st century. And it kind of just reminded me of like, you know, in that Miss America, and we saw how actually white women uh, get to champ get champions first, and then, you know, black women have to come second in the pecking order. So I, I just don't think it was, ha I don't think um, it was very strong in that way. Um, and they had one moment where it actually kind of, you know, actually confronted you know, white feminism, <laughs> um, which was, you know, great, but it, that was, it was one, it was one line and then that's it, let's move on. And I just, I, I, and I understand, you know, it can't do everything and actually, um, you know, it does do something really good things. It does it really well, but I think it, it could have, I wanted it to be better. I wanted it to make that effort. Um, and I don't, and I don't think, I think it took, you know, the very easy way out with centering it around a pretty skinny cis white white girl mm. i mean i'm sure everyone's like dying to hear <laughs> the opinion of a white person on this <laughs> yeah <was> like, okay <laughs> tell the listeners what you feel clarice <laughs> i guess like i will say like i 100 percent agree with you in the sense that this this is a movie made by white women probably for like white women and white girls because a lot of the storyline for me was about this character Vivian the protagonist um the the white protagonist kind of learning how to be an intersectional feminist so it's very from her perspective and the lessons that she learns and I I guess I, I really liked that aspect of it even if it comes with the the negative everything you described which is totally true just the little moments of of like there's a very pivotal moment at the end where you know she's sort of been rebel number one the, the whole way through but she's starting to realize like oh I have a certain amount of privilege in me being able to do this because you know my my best friend whose parents are immigrants and that's always in her mind of of her you know not being able to take these kinds of risks by being the the out loud rebel girl da 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 um so she's kind of learning that lesson at the end she has her moment and then she very kind of visibly steps down and lets others have the platform. And I did like that ending of, of being like, hey, <laughs> white, white teenagers, you're going to realize that you have a voice and you have a power, but don't make it all about yourself the whole time. Step down at the end. But I think that's the thing. It's it's telling that message with the, with the negative of not showing the other characters' experiences is always being seen through Vivian's eyes, if that makes sense. Uh, 100% makes sense for sure. I will also say that this film is very unsubtle, and I think that's partially by design, mm. but I I like my films uh, typically to when you know, they have some, like a big, big message like this film has, I like it when that's fed into the narrative in a very organic way and that's not sort of preached at me and I did feel especially in the film's final moments it did get very preachy and to me that negates some of the power that it's going for. I mentioned this before but I also you know you mentioned Patrick Schwarzenegger I just feel like this film is supposed to be about like how 
um, white men, uh, especially attractive white men's athletes, you know, they get to have everything that they want and they don't have to work hard and they've got ultimate privilege. And so for me, it really disappointed me that they actually cast um, Patrick Schwarzenegger in this movie because he is that person. Everything, he's got, his whole career is based on him being um, a white celebrity child of, you know what I mean? Like he's totally privileged. So for me, it just felt like, how can you even have this message combating hey, we don't want to allow that. We're, we're taking down the white patriarchy when he is literally the most shining example of it. And I'm not saying, you know, you know, actors, kids can't do it, but Jesus, he's like, he's, he's like, granddad was a Kennedy. Like he's establishment. He's like, his dad was a governor. It's all sorts of negative. It just felt like, oh, you're, this guy doesn't need this job. And I just feel like, you know, it felt for me that kind of, I think that was awkward to cast him in the, as this character, even though, you know, Apart from, you know, all the horrible stuff that this character does, he's basically playing himself. I feel like actors aren't there to play themselves. They're, you know, you could have hired someone else. Mm. So that's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's his way of trying to, like, tell us, hey, I'm self-aware. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. being self-critical. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. But the time has come uh, to rate Moxie. And there's only two options for this one because this is on Netflix right now. And those options are stream or skip Clarice stream <laughs> especially if you're like a teenager because if I'd seen this when I was what 14 would have changed my world <laughs> <laughs> I just I just got that picture in my mind now and it's amazing because <laughs> you were saying like oh this movie this movie's a bit simple but I was like dumb as shit as a 14-year-old. <laughs> and I would have really oh, I appreciated this movie. I oh, I definitely would. I definitely would because, like, you know, a lot of it I felt that I I we experienced. So I feel like mm. it was great. And, and in a way, that's why begrudgingly I will say stream it because, you know, it might not be, you know, we can't... It's, I suppose, you know, for us, we always want something more. If things that like we kind of have higher hopes, especially when it's got such an important social message, um, you kind of want it to do do that extra work. You know, with suffragettes, you're like, where, why is everyone white? <laughs> you know, it's East London. Why is everyone white? <laughs> um, but, you know, I kind of, you know, but would I say don't see that movie? No, because I do think it's important that we, you know, we have this sort of stuff and it's becoming part of our conversation. And actually, you know, there was some really lovely stuff. And even at the end, I, I actually, you know, it did make me well up. Um, there was this bit, I'm sorry, I know we're not going back into film again, but I feel like I'm going to do it. But there was this really lovely bit and it felt so sincere. But when this, this black girl, dark-skinned black girl, stands up and says talks about like don't touch my hair it's not nappy she kind of like half has to say say it again and it felt so true and real and I was like oh this is why this is why you need these voices so for me you know just you know even for that moment I would say definitely stream it now I third that uh for sure for all those reasons and more uh so yeah that is Moxie now it's time to head back to Zamunda for coming to America Trailer time. Heed my words before I'm gone, my son. Now, you will be king. But the throne must pass to a male heir. Hakim, it appears you have a son. He must be found. Prepare the royal jet. We are going back to America. Oh, hell no, your majesty. 
that's it. It's back. Coming to America, the second one, 32 years later. You realize I'm actually the same age as um, Coming to America, the original, came out in 1988. <laughs> there amazing. we go. Um, but yeah, so I mean, look, you've guessed it. All the all the big guys are back. Um, we're back with Eddie Murphy. He's back as Prince Akeem. Um, he, in the original, kind of contextualized the original, don't we? He went to America. He went to America. He went from uh, the royal country of Zamunda uh, and then headed to Queens because he was a prince in need of a queen to become his queen. Uh, so he goes there with uh, Semi, played by Arsenio Hall, and he gets into a lot of, you know, he's, he's the pauper, and then he kind of works at a, a fast food restaurant, and it's there, he kind of meets his love, and he kind of finds the true value of life, and, you know, all that jazz, and there's a lot of hijinks going on until happily ever after, back in Zamunda with his bride Lisa on his arm. Um, so yeah, and so we pick up 32 years later, he has got uh, three daughters, uh, one played by Kiki Lane, um, and uh, his dad, his dear old dad, played by James L. Jones, uh, the King Jaffa. He's 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 on his last legs, guys. Um, sorry to say, and so uh, we need to find a. Apparently, there's a rule we need to find a male heir, um, but apparently there is one because drama. You know, I'm not going to give that away, but things happen. And so basically, Prince Akeem has to go back to America again. And you know what? I think. I think I'm just going to leave it there, but basically it's kind of, there's a new, there's a new would-be bride. Wesley Snipes is a general. He wants to kind of get his daughter married off to his, Mrs. Keem's daughter. And there's just so many, like, it's, there's so much stuff in between. Um, I think it's a fever dream. Amon, what did you think? <sighs> Hannah, Hannah, <laughs> Hannah, Hannah. Here's the thing about coming to America, the 1988 film. Uh, by the way, I will also uh, be the same age as the, as the, as the film from Tuesday onwards, uh, which Woo! is insane. Um, but yes, here's the thing. Coming to America is my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, so, you know, I was initially, when I heard that they were making the sequel, I was initially nervous. But then I thought that maybe they could pull it off. Because if you remember, um, this is directed by Craig Brewer who was the same guy who directed Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name. And that really felt like a comeback of sorts for Murphy. I really loved it. Many people loved it. It was in the awards conversation and deservedly so. But making a great belated sequel to a beloved comedy from years ago is one of the most difficult things to do today in film. And coming to America doesn't really pull that off. I will say, firstly though, that Ruth Carter's costumes are absolutely incredible. Uh, I am ready to throw out my entire wardrobe if it means that I get Ruth Carter clothes that I can stock it with, uh, because it is just incredible. I really enjoyed Wesley Snipes as a general Izzy. He is having a lot of fun, and the first time he's introduced is one of the few times that I laughed quite <laughs> hard because it is an incredible introduction. Uh, but the, you know that is the most disappointing thing in, in a sense because I really didn't laugh all that often at this movie. And when I think about coming to America, the first one, you know, I am pretty sure that me and my family, we are approaching quadruple figures in watching that film. And every single time I watch that film, I know everything that's coming and I still laugh my ass off because it's just absolutely hilarious. And in this film, I just didn't find myself laughing very much, which was a bit of a shame. I also find myself asking who is this movie for? Because at multiple points, they have flashbacks to the original film, 
But unlike the reason why you're here is because of the fans of that film who have that film ingrained in their brain. We don't need flashbacks. What are you doing? There's all, and it also does the thing which I absolutely hate, and I hope people stop doing this, but they do that thing where the film make, makes a meta joke about how the first film was better and they shouldn't make a sequel because of it. It's not cool. It's not funny. Please stop doing it. <laughs> Except when they did it in The Muppets Most Wanted. I liked it then. It's the Muppets, the Muppets okay. are allowed to do it, nobody else. <laughs> that, that was the exception to the rule. I was also shocked that Shari Headley wasn't more involved. It takes her 30 minutes of film to get any meaningful dialogue, which feels absolutely crazy to me. Um, I will say, though, that there are some moments of genuine heart uh, that do peek through. I love it when the film gets real between Akeem and Mr. McDowell or Akeem and King Jaffe Jaffer, uh in the opening act of the movie and Akeem and Lisa. Like, the, 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 general, the, the genuine dramatic moments, there are some of those which really shine through. But overall, I was underwhelmed by this film. And as someone who is a massive fan of the original, that was a little bit disappointing to me. I think you're kind of similar, but you also will be fighting um, uh, Amon over the wardrobe, I believe, Clarice. Um. <laughs> I love the costumes. <laughs> okay, let me because I need to. I'll get to the costumes in a bit because the the costumes are the one thing that really hit the balance between past and present. Because I think my issue with this movie is that I was reading some of the interviews of going leading up to this and. And you could tell that, you know, Eddie Murphy and Craig Brewer, they really understood how much people love and care so deeply about coming to America. And and they were so worried about ruining it and messing it up. And oh my God, what if we disappoint people? That it feels it feels like they just didn't try anything new because they were really worried about upsetting people. So they just said, hey, why don't we just make the same movie again? <laughs> then no one will be mad. Which is true. Like I, I didn't dislike it. I didn't. I wasn't like, oh god, awkward. Blah. I enjoyed it fine. I, I didn't laugh very much either. But I wasn't annoyed about it. But I will forget this movie tomorrow probably. I can be yeah. honest because yeah. it, it, it is that situation of when people make a sequel. And you just go, well, why would I watch this when I can watch the original? Like, why? <laughs> you made the same thing again. Like, why would I go to this and not the other thing? It also made, like, a very weird choice in the sense of, oh, when I started the movie and I realized, oh, he has, like, doors, Kiki Lane, great. This is going to be, like, how they you know, them two together are going to fight. And then it, no, it's not. <laughs> it's about another guy. It's about a son. And even though it's saying we don't need a son, the whole film is about him. Is he going to get married? Is he, you know, who's he going to end up with? Um, the long lost son played by uh, Jermaine uh, Fowler, um, who, he, so his character was called Lavelle. And don't get me wrong, I really, I actually, you know, if you're going to add new bits, I think his addition, he's a good comedian. I think him and Leslie Jones, Leslie Jones playing his mother, you know, I laughed every time that Leslie Jones was in the room. She really, for me, was the MVP of this film. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. she, 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 um, she injected such natural, like modern, it felt like, oh, this is the one part that's not trying to be the old movie. 
This is her being, because you, when you cast Leslie Jones, you're casting Leslie Jones, who's just going to take a random name, but you want Leslie Jones in that role. That's who you're paying for, to see, you know? And I think for me, those interactions, you know, when, she, when, when there's a bit where kind of they do these, inter, these, uh, these um, uh, big musical in, welcome, welcome parties, like introductions, like this is a processions, I suppose it would be. Um, like, like the prince, it's like Prince Ali, that whole bit, but it's actually, you know, in Zamunda, Zamunda style. Um, and they were amazing to watch. They were quite fun. But, you know, there's a bit where it's like, start singing a song with Tiana Taylor's like coming out and it's like, this is my jam. And it's like, yes, <laughs> Leslie, it is your jam. I love it. And the two of them together, it was just so brilliant. But I just felt like this film is all about trying to, you know, it's trying to have this like modern message of, hey, isn't this a bit sexist? Like, why, you know, the first movie was like, hey, why do I need to marry a princess? And now it's like, hey, why does the next heir, the, the heir has to be a man? Why, and, and then marry a woman. I felt like the female characters definitely were, it, were totally underused and even like Tiana Taylor like even it felt like you know her, there's a whole bit where it's like oh I only want I only want to do what you want me to do that whole thing she's the fiance it's like I only want to do what this guy tells me I want him to do and it felt like sorry is that how everyone sees Africa? well that's just that, the like, that's a, the like, same joke from the first movie they do that with yeah. the first Brit it was like you're the it's the same joke <laughs> yeah 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 and it just feels like are we still doing that like I feel you know as much as this you know when I don't know I, I suppose in a way, it's like, I can't believe, like, Rufy Carter has dressed like black royalty in that way and then done this because it feels like it doesn't deserve Ruth Carter's <laughs> costumes. Because oh, yeah. it, that's what I mean. It's <laughs> like, it's like these, they, they it, it felt like it wasn't, it was undeserving for the level of artistry. And what it meant when you're having characters, um, female characters in such a reductive, presented in still as much of a reductive way as possible. And yeah, fine, you had Kiki Lane doing the kind of, oh, I'm the masculine girl who can fight and stuff. And it just was really one note, that whole thing. It was really frustrating. But, you know, there were moments that I did really enjoy. And, you know, when I think when Eddie Murphy um, dresses up as his character, um, what's the guy who's the the Jerry Curl, who does, uh, does the song at the end? I can't remember his name. Randy name. Watson. Richie? Randy, Randy <laughs> Watson. Oh, my God. That for me, like that, you know, that's 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 pure Eddie. That's what you really are coming to see. It it feels like that's the importance of the movie, not you know the I suppose the dress up. You're you're basically watching this movie just to see these little moments of brilliance. Um, but unfortunately, I think like all of us said, it's they're just too few and far between. But it was a bit of fun. Hmm. Can I have my costume aside? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Oh my okay. god, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Welcome to Clarice's costume. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was so good about the costumes is that, like, she was clearly paying attention to the first movie and so she was replicating some of the shapes and the dresses from that. But then she also, like, if you look at Kiki Lane's character, her costumes were a mix of, like, athleisure wear and she was wearing yeah. a bunch of puma stuff but then she was changing the silhouettes so they, they were like traditional silhouettes traditional fabrics and it worked so well together and it's like that's what the movie should have been like that perfect mixture of past and present and and showing people that like you can change things and you can revolutionize things without disrespecting what mm -hmm. came before and it's, it's just really interesting that the costumes got it so right <laughs> and yeah. mm -hmm. did what the movie really should have done but mm, good costumes it's not a comedy but i think the film in recent times which has perfectly balanced the past and the present is creed mm, um, yes and, yes and i think if if more people sort of paid attention to how the film did how that film did what it did it could lead to 
better movies of this ilk. Do you think also, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but it seemed like they're trying to appeal to a younger family audience. Um, so they've actually tried to tame it. I mean, when you, you know, I watched Coming to America straight after watching Coming to America mm-hmm. to kind of remind myself, because obviously the reference, but I hadn't seen it in a while. Mm. And I was like, oh, you're seeing tits like straight away. <laughs> like, do you know what yeah. I mean? It's a very, it's a very, there's, it's far more, uh, I suppose, uh, late night humor. I would say in, in some ways, or maybe that's allowed, but this felt like it was trying to appeal to more like be more family friendly. So actually it wasn't quite as cutting as it as it could be. And maybe that's why it lost. It hadn't got as much edge. There wasn't the edge. It's like it's been it's been smoothed out. it was a more innocent time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting because yeah. like it, you're right. There are there are boob, there are boobies in coming to America. <laughs> I I feel like the first one's like in terms of the rest of like the eighties comedy landscape is really quite as wholesome. Like it's a really sweet movie and the romance is is so lovely that yeah, it didn't I, I agree they, they toned it down a little bit, but I yeah, I don't know how I don't know how much. But the time has come to rate it. I think mm. I know where we're gonna go with this one. Uh but Hannah, stream or skip. Um, I think I'm still going to say stream because I think there's enough in there to have a bit of fun. And like as much as I didn't laugh too much, I still there were moments and I think, you know, there were it has redeemable qualities. Um, so and also if you're an Addy, you know, why not? <laughs> if you've got Prime, why not? They're, you know, <laughs> I love it. Why not? <laughs> Clarice. Yeah, I would say if you if you like the first one, stream it. If you haven't seen the first one, just skip it because like, you're not going to understand what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I would say stream it because it is nice. It was nice. I enjoyed myself even though I didn't laugh. It is with a heavy heart that I'm going to say skip. Um, <gasps> yeah. I think, you know, maybe down the line, if, you know, when the YouTube clips start coming up, uh, you know, check out a couple of them and then make up your own mind from that. But as someone who's such a massive fan of the first film, this film did break my heart a little bit and not in a good way. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to say skip coming to America and maybe watch the first, rewatch the first one instead. Okay, so uh, we did interview Jermaine Fowler, who you mentioned plays Lavelle, uh, Prince Akeem's long lost son in the film. Um, but we had a slight hiccup. Um, look. Emails were sent, mistakes were made. Um, Sounds like you killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did die a small death when I realised that I'm gonna have to like the way I had to record this interview um, was. You know what, guys, you deserve better. But right now, we don't have it. <laughs> what it comes down to is we didn't want to play much of it because it would hurt your ears but we did have a nice little um kind of a moment where uh, Jermaine talked about one of the earliest scenes and actually I think we can all agree it was probably one of the best scenes in the movie where um his character is interviewing for a job uh with a digital agency uh with a guy played by Colin Jost the whitest guy on Saturday Night Live um <laughs> <laughs> Mr Scarlett Johansson yeah Miss, so so the whitest Guy on SNL. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, please enjoy this brief um, uh, clip of him talking about how they did that scene. I really enjoyed your um, 
you know, your kind of opening bit with Colin Jost. And I love because he's like the whitest dude ever. That's the whole thing on SNL. He's like the white dude. <laughs> it's like, wow. The great thing about that scene was um, we spent some time on it. We spent a great deal working on it and crafting it and um, making sure every single line was treated with care, right? Mm. Um, because it's 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 just one of the it's one of the, it's one it's a pivotal thing in the movie, mm. and um, we just wanted to make sure um, it was done right. And so Colin came in with the right attitude. I came with the right attitude, and um, some you know some lines uh, we did the rehearsal. Some lines changed here and there, and you know it was a process, and it was an awesome process. And I'm I'm glad he was game to kind of just do things. Um, um, uh, uh, the way he wanted to do it and they were open for me to do things the way I thought they should be done and um, um, it just made for a really really good scene man um, I love that scene but it was the last scene we ever shot that was the last thing we shot for the movie like that was it like and that's crazy because it was late at night in Atlanta in an office building or uh, in, a, yeah, in, in, in one of the offices and um, I think it was like in the morning, it was really late, and uh, it was like everyone was exhausted. And um, you know, you can feel like the tension in the scene because it was uh, it's 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 racially driven, like mm-hmm. the jokes are racially driven, and it, it can come off. It, it's easy for that for that for that scene to kind of veer off the wrong way and um, um, just be executed incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, 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 Craig and uh, um, jo- uh, Colin and you know, myself, I think we did a great job of, of making sure we did it the right way. Um, it's such an important thing. Mm-hmm. When we said cut, like, and we didn't leave that, we didn't leave the set until we got it right. So when they said cut, we knew, we knew it was right. Um, and I gotta thank Craig for that. Um, mm-hmm. so that was the last thing we shot. And, you know, Colin was his, uh, waspy, annoying asshole self. And that <laughs> and I was my, you know, I was my, uh, you know, Which one? I think it was the word association sketch. There was a word oh, association yeah. sketch on SNL with Richard Pryor and, uh, and, and Chevy Chase. That, that, that's one of the most, that, that's a classic sketch right there. And just mm. the scene in general. Um, I, I love that sketch so much. And that was, that was the approach I wanted to take with it because it was really a dance. Like it was a dance. It was, it, 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 it's classic vaudeville and like classic comedy where you get two people doing, trying to one up each other. And if they aren't, there, there are no jokes in it. There, there are no jokes. It's a situation. No one's trying to make someone laugh. They're just trying to make this awkward scene more awkward. And it, 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 those are my favorite scenes. Those are my mm. favorite scenes. That's why I love Corn Brothers movies because <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all situational. You know, I love, I love how Tarantino crafts dialogue because it's all situational. Yeah. There's no jokes, you know. Um, you know, that's why I love Eddie because Eddie can do a scene and just like talk and, the situation is, you know, built and 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 it it, it grows into something, you know, and, and just it, I love that thing. So I'm glad you uh, brought it up because it was a uh, it was it was definitely one of those things that that took took some time to get there. 
Oh. And just like the thing that started to bother you with, uh, you know, with me and Lakeith, um, that thing took time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some of the funniest things don't happen, you know, immediately. You, you take, you, you take some, you take your time with it and you let it, you let it build and you let it grow. So that was Hannah speaking with Jermaine Fowler. And now it's time to head to Westview to discuss one division. Here's a clip. doing rattling around this big house? Well, I assure you, I'm married to a man, a human one. One. What's it We are an unusual couple. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. So, as we record this, uh, WandaVision has completed its nine-episode run on Disney+, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, It was interesting because, um, you know, when WandaVision was starting, I was like, you know, this it it wasn't wasn't the Disney Plus uh, Marvel show, which I was super excited to see, and the first couple episodes, to me, were very, very slow. And then they started to reveal more of the puzzle. And I was like, hmm, okay, you have you have my curiosity, you have my attention, here we go. Then it started to get really, really interesting and revealed even more of the puzzle. I was like, okay, I need to, you know, before I was like, I can wait until the middle of the day to watch WandaVision. It started to become 8 a.m. Friday morning. There's nothing else that I'm doing other than being by my computer and watching. And then, as, as as it continued to progress, it's now become one of my favorite uh, things in the MCU. We are, as the nine-episode run has completed, we are going to be discussing the, the show in some spoiler detail. So if you have not yet watched WandaVision, which, by the way, what are you doing? You need it in your life. Uh, but if, for some reason, you have not yet watched that show, uh, feel free to skip ahead uh, slightly. Uh, to the end uh, of our discussion. But without any further ado, Clarice, what did you make? I liked it. Of Wonder Woman? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Seeing as we set you up in the intro as being, as taking a page from Wonder, it would be weird if you then turned on and said you didn't like right it. Now. <laughs> no, yeah, I relate to this woman a lot. I, I relate to a woman who, instead of facing the consequences of her actions, was like, I'm just going to zoom to Norway. Zip. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> uh, <Deuces up. laughs> yeah. yeah i think i i i i don't know i don't know with marvel it's hard because you kind of want to like do like the ranking of marvel so i like high enjoyed it not the top but like mid to high level enjoyed mm-hmm. it um i thought the development of her character was really interesting and i i loved having a representation of of grief and depression and pain where it had negative consequences because i think that is a really important thing to talk about i know a lot of people won't you know agree and are kind of maybe upset that it seems like wanda's gonna be the villain for the doctor strange 2 but i think that's good i think i think it's great to have a conversation about the fact that when we're hurt and when we are hurting we can then hurt other people like what a human and nuanced way to to look at that so i loved all of that some of the um, some of the more marvelly stuff i i didn't i wasn't obsessed with i wasn't a huge fan of episode 8 which was very like 
you know all that stuff we talked about in the other movies we're gonna show it to you for some reason because i feel like we didn't really need that because i knew that she had trauma and i i feel like you don't need to go look at this bomb that landed in her house and she was watching sitcoms while the bomb didn't go off that's the source of her trauma like i like i feel like trauma is so complex that you don't necessarily need this like three vignettes of why she is the person she is today i feel like i already understood her really well which is really good writing the fact that i really get this character that's beautiful writing um and also when they're all zooming in the sky <laughs> i i'll be honest like whenever that happens in a marvel movie my little brain shuts off because it's like <laughs> oh everyone's just zoomies it's just zoomies like they're little dogs you know when dogs have the zoomies and they go around the <laughs> it's like that but marvel and i was just like <laughs> and my brain just goes i can't handle that much information i'm just gonna switch off for a bit <laughs> um yeah i I loved it um, for everything that, you know, you guys have said. I think, you know, I think the grief thing is really interesting, um, especially as, you know, how much, it, like you said, the negative, you know, grief is, is such a fundamental storyline in superhero films. It, it's like, it's a plot device that is, you know, the most, the most common because it's so easy. It's such an easy motivator, you know, someone dies and that makes you want to feel less helpless by doing something worthwhile. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, before with, with, with like the Punisher, you know, sometimes it manifests in an immoral way, you know, even with, you know, uh, Tony, I mean, his, Tony Stark in, in the MCU, his whole um, kind of narrative has been governed by that loss of losing his parents, not processing that grief and feeling like he didn't have the, the kind of a closure with his father. Um, but we see him kind of get better. But then you see those moments where it snaps in, at the end of Captain America Civil War. You know, once he, he knows that Bucky was brainwashed when he killed, you know, when he finds out and he killed, sorry, spoilers, but, but like when he killed... Um, Tony's parents but he still wants to kill him he still wants to literally rip his head off and that's 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 another way of showing how grief manifests sometimes it doesn't manifest in this heroic way sometimes it takes a darker turn and I think you know with WandaVision it's the first time I, I think in a meaningful way it's taken a film character a female film character and actually explored what that means um you know and and what I love is that it's not just her grief it's Monica's grief and she's showing hey this is the normal hero's path that you see she's lost her mom and she wants to use empathy and be better but actually Wanda's an example of how when that manifests in a bad way when we allow the sorrow to inform our actions and we hold on to it and refuse to move on actually you know we can we can harm people there are innocent bystanders of this superhero grief um you know I dis I, I slightly disagree with you I uh, with your episode eight analysis because I think the important thing, what they were trying to establish by going back to these moments, um, I think they were trying to establish the fact that she had this power before she even had, she even came to the Infinity Stone. You know, the point was, is that she stopped that bomb. And that's why we needed to see it. It was not to relive that. I mean, it contextualized up. It was actually to say, hold on a second. This is how she became. This is who she is. She's always, this has always been in her. She's a net, and we learn she's this nexus being, right? And then we realize, oh, this is the origin, this is the origin story we never got. Um, and I and I actually felt that was necessary. And I love seeing it in the cracks of films. I think these moments were the cracks that you missed. And she has not been given enough time <laughs> uh, at all in the movies to do that. And so I really like that the way that we've, you know, I know we've seen this stuff before, but we, you know, it's seen it from a different perspective. And I think that's actually 
quite well done. Um, so I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, I really, really connected, really felt it deeply, so much of it, um, deeper than I, you know, a lot of stuff that we've seen in the MCU. And I love the MCU, but this felt finally, it felt like it had the serious tone that the Netflix Marvel films, uh, Marvel series quite offered. You know, that dark, I think the darkness of it kind of, it kind of showed it a bit more, even though we had levity. Um, so yeah, and I definitely cried. Um, I definitely cried when Vision cried. <laughs> but I think that was a CGI tear. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, Vision had some bars in this show. Uh, I know the internet had a few things to say about a certain line, uh, which was, for me, an incredible line, what is grief if not love persevering? Uh, which I thought uh, was incredible. <laughs> it's been interesting to see the discourse on this TV show from week to week um, because there's been a lot of theorizing you know, now that we have the full show to discuss. Uh, all uh, uh, like 90% of those theories turned out to be completely wrong, <laughs> which was very, very funny to me. Uh, not, not helped by the fact that Paul Bettany is an epic troll, apparently, and uh, it started teasing a cameo, which turned out to be Himself. Bethany! Uh, but that. <laughs> uh, but that. I'm you to Hades! <laughs> I respected you. You disrespect me. You disrespect the family. I know it was you, Paul. <laughs> and that perfectly leads into the first of what will be a regular section in our podcast. It is the. Hot takes! Ow, I burned myself on the take. It was too hot. <laughs> Amazing. By the way, we will definitely do better and we're gonna get a, we're gonna get sound effects. We're gonna make it a little jingle. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's gonna be always like that. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler culture, I think, is a very interesting discussion to have in relation to One Division. Because as I say, um, as the show was progressing and becoming more interesting. Um, not only did I want to watch it immediately because I was excited to see it, but I wanted to watch it immediately because Twitter has no chill when it comes to discussing the One Division episodes in depth the moment they drop. And for me, I never really engage uh, in that um, because you just never know who has watched it at what point. And I get that people want to say, you know, what they think and what and and, and all their theories. Uh, but for me, I've been enjoying doing just that, but privately with uh, yourselves, Hannah and Clarice, and with many, many others. And that is how I do that. Um, and I know that it's, it's frustrated some people because they have muted certain words on Twitter, but it doesn't matter because either the, either uh, tweets about one division will still manage to get into their feed and whether you meet the words or not, it's not going to stop the trending topics showing up when you go on Twitter. And because Marvel is Marvel and because WandaVision is WandaVision, you better believe that at least two of those trending topics are going to concern the episode which has just dropped. Um, so I took it upon myself to watch it immediately because then I could go on Twitter. Uh, but if he hadn't done that, you'd be best to avoid online because there's a good chance you might get spoiled into me that has a negative impact on me watching the episode. But Hannah, I know that you have very strong thoughts on this. I, I've, I've increasingly become radi radicalized against um, spoiler phobics, spoiler terrorists, to be honest, because 
I do think some people aren't living in the reality of that is social media. Like, I agree with you. It's it like, I don't think I, I don't I don't want to post spoilers. I, I, I watch it at 8 a.m. because I don't want to see the spoilers. Um, I get the frustration. And I totally, you know, when you kind of, you know, you don't get to see it in the evening. But, you know, this is this is going to this is like the new normal now when you watch stuff. You're right. It goes out at 8 a.m. our time, but it goes at the same time globally. So someone it's someone's evening. It's someone's you know, mid whatever. There's different times. So. You know, I appreciate that that's that. Like, at least it's not Game of Thrones where people are watching it Sunday night. We can't watch it in the UK until Monday. That is annoying. But it is, you know, it's going out at the same time. Of the t- same time. So if you've got a Disney Plus account, you have the capacity to watch it. Um, so, like, fair enough if you haven't, um, you know, you've got to go to work in the morning, you can't do it, fine. But then I also think, you know, if again, if, if, if you're... If your enjoyment of a TV show is going to be so spoiled by knowing, you know, the name or plot detail, whatever, it is really your responsibility to get not be in the not put yourself in risk. It is a lawless world out there. It's lawless. It's the outer rim, <laughs> right? You know, and it, and it feels like you're. I get. I I I can get it, but I just think, look, that's the way it is. Don't go on Twitter all day. Then I mean, I understand if it's your work, but again, you know. In my our job, we get spoiled things all the time. Like every time you get a get a series, they give you an embargo. Please don't mention these spoilers. Oh, thanks. I haven't even watched it yet. Um, so yeah, I I, I personally, uh, you know, I I don't, you know, I, I got spoiled Endgame <laughs> in a way because I knew I got someone t- someone added me and said because I said I'm going to the end and someone said Tony dies and I was like oh that's a bit annoying. No. Yeah, way. but like, but then I saw it, but then I was like, did I enjoy this movie any less? No, I fucking did it. <laughs> like, I enjoyed it as much as I did, and I enjoy it every single time. I know, I think in a way, I think we have to really ask ourselves how much, in the grand scheme of how enjoyment, knowing, I don't know, I had someone say to me because I posted a picture of um, Ahsoka Tano um, and Rosario Dawson doing a compare, like, as if she's going to look anything other than exactly the same as the animated character. And someone was, like, legit in my mention, at me saying, like, um, I'd appreciate if you didn't spoil it. I wanted to surprise. It's like I posted it like twelve out, like like twelve hours afterwards, and it just feels like you're always gonna have someone who's gonna who's you're not who's gonna be who's gonna be annoyed that you've ruined it. But you can't be on everyone's schedules. So yeah, I think people need to be a bit better. But I also think that you're not gonna change it, and it's up to you yourself to change it, change your kind of use of social media if that means that much to you. You can't constantly ask other people because people aren't going to fucking listen. <laughs> I have more thoughts on that, but Clarice, I want to get you in here. What's your take? I guess my take is like, like for us, you know, we've got a fair amount of people who follow us. So yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't post spoilers because, you know, I know that there's an, an audience who, who necessarily don't necessarily want to know that information. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, we can't expect like 16 year olds who have 30 followers and all their followers are their friends to, to not be posting spoilers. Like they're just talking to their audience, which is, you know, either their friends or their online friends. And, and it seems harsh to, to be like, you random puzzle on the internet, don't you dare. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of in the middle, like, no, don't don't yeah no don't post spoilers but also like realize that certain people are obviously just gonna do that and and you know I like I found out that Han Solo died in Force Awakens before I watched it and like it was a bummer but I got over it (laughs) 
Like, you'll get over it. This is the thing. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get over it. It's, uh... Also, it's the level, isn't it? What are the level? What's the, what's, what are the, what are the, the, the like, the parameters mm. of a spoiler? Because it feels like it's getting so much, like, it's getting so ridiculous now. Like, you know, even in your reviews, when you write reviews, it's like, how much can you actually talk about a movie? Um, you know, but this thing, you know, like I said, like, something where, um, like, like I said, that picture, it just felt like if this was a movie, there would be a character poster and you would have seen Rosario. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not, that's not, knowing that Rosario <laughs> Dawson, sorry. This is I really, mean, I've still got over this because this guy, because what it is, it all, it's, it's not just that. I think there's another part of it. It's like people who at you, people who at you for the most minimum things and say, tell you off. And it feels like, don't follow me. Like, don't follow me. You, I don't follow you. <laughs> don't you? Don't have to do that. Like, I think I'm pretty good. I don't. I, I you know, I don't want to post spoilers. I, I really think I do respect that. I think, you know, fair enough. Do 24 hours. I think that's far fairer than a lot of people do anyway. But like, you know, don't ex- then don't and don't at me and then expect me to be polite to you when you've told me like as if like I owe you anything. I don't owe you nothing. I don't know you, yeah, dude. That's the thing. It, yeah. <laughs> With that one, I can maybe sort of understand. I, I find it interesting that you guys have both said that, you know, major moments in, you know, uh, Force Awakens and Endgame was spoiled for you and you got over it. I I would not, I'd be very angry uh, were that that to have happened to me because it's not just about, you know, the overall experience, but it's about, that moment, and you know, when when often when especially when it comes to films like that, those moments when you're watching them for the first time, unspoiled for me, really stay with me, and you remember how you feel. Well, it's like it's like you know, I, I still remember how I feel when Mufasa died. That was a big moment. I don't want to know about that in advance because then I'm sort of looking for it. I want those moments to just hit me, and then I react to it presently and I feel like if I know that in advance that would really sort of make me angry and it would take away from that a little bit Uh, obviously you know I won't know for sure because thankfully you know I haven't been spoiled when it comes to those very very significant moments but I imagine that it would be a lesser reaction a lesser lesser reaction than than, than I would have uh, were I not to have been spoiled yeah, but like, I was the thing is, like, maybe I just, I do have a really bad memory. But like, while I was watching it, I had sort of semi forgot that I knew that this was happening. Cause, you know, I, this is the thing with, with spoilers is like, you kind of don't know if they're 100% true until you're watching it. So I was yeah. watching Force Awakens, like, not really thinking about it because maybe, maybe it was a fake thing and maybe he didn't actually die. And then when I saw them on the bridge together, I went, uh oh. <laughs> seem right but I also think I think I I also think you're really when you when when you say the the idea that that's spoiled like as if someone just at me saying Tony dies really is encapsulates how that scene plays out as if like I can't take in and be so absorbed with everything that builds up to that moment that I'm not in it. Like the idea that just because I know he's going to die, it's everything about that. It's not about when he dies. It's everything that builds up to it and after it. It's not just, you know, it's like, you know, uh, like you said with Han Han Solo's death, it feels like that's, there's so much building to it. And I felt like, I felt that emotion. I feel so much. So for me, I'm not, I don't go into movies like waiting for this scene to happen or just because I might have seen it happen. I'm actually... 
I forget about everything because I'm so focused and absorbed in the film. So I kind of, I don't know, I, I personally don't um, get that way. And also, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, how are you meant to enjoy films that are 20 years old that you've never seen, but we all know what the end <laughs> it is. Do you know what I mean? That, the idea that you can't, you know, someone could watch Sixth Sense now and can't enjoy it. You actually get a different enjoyment. I honestly think there is a case of, uh, I think, I think there's a, like a cognitive dissonance maybe of like, how you actually feel in that moment rather than, you know, how you think that you feel. Because I think feelings is something that you can't control, I suppose. And I think your head and our, our heart's not spoiled. Maybe your head is, but your heart, when you feel watching a movie, maybe that's, you know, and I think that's the point. It's most, films meant to make you feel so, so yeah. I <laughs> I will add one thing to this. One thing I really do is history is not a spoiler. <laughs> yes! I have had people, like, when I describe like the plot to a movie but the plot to a movie is a really famous historical event and someone says that spoiler I do get a bit annoyed because it's like it's disrespectful to the people involved like it's not a spoiler because it happened and it happened to those people like they <laughs> they was they weren't spoiled because it happened to them they didn't know it was coming yeah yeah <laughs> so I yeah that's my one rule history I agree with that to a point like I still would prefer certain uh scenes um certain spoilery scenes whether they're historical or not not to be spoiled in vivid detail in a in an in an in an advanced review but like I, I would it be a spoiler if, if it was a movie about jfk and you're like jfk gets assassinated in a car because <laughs> it's like everyone knows that <laughs> no yeah no 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 that that is fine but describing the precise circumstances in terms of the build-up in terms of who's in the car, in but terms of everything Jackie, but, else, I think that's going to But you know far. who's in the car. <laughs> it's a historical event. We know that Jackie was mm. in the car. So, like, it wouldn't be a spoiler to say she was there because everyone knows she was there. <laughs> I think also, I mean, I think, it, I think sometimes it's, like, case mm. by case. And I think it's actually, you know, um, the prerogative of the critic and how it's written. Because in a way, it's like... Is there a point of if you're not if you're describing that scene to talk about the acting in that scene, and that's because you're actually you critic like that's your job to show how it's performed and what you liked about it in that moment. I think that's fair cop. Like you should be able to do that in historical. But if it's just there, I suppose, and actually it's just to say, oh, this happens. It feels like well, what you know, if it's at the end of the movie, like why? I mean, you can mention it, but to go in detail and then not talk about how it's mm. shot or you know, what I mean, what that's why it's good. I think that's the point. It's like. It, there has to be a reason, I suppose in reviews for me, there has to be a reason why you're mentioning it to discuss it. What do you think about spoiler culture? Agree? Disagree? Then you can let us know on Twitter, tweet us with the hashtag fade to black. Hannah, where can they tweet you? You can tweet me uh, nicely, uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> At, uh, don't tweet me spoilers, spoilers, please, just because I said that. I don't, don't make me, don't make me, <laughs> maybe pay for my my views um <laughs> you can find me at hannah flint uh, i don't have an h on the end of my name but you can find me there uh i'm at clarice lou and i will add that i know uh kong versus godzilla is coming out soon if please don't let me know who wins i'm very invested in the fight <laughs> i don't want to know <laughs> go godzilla go godzilla godzilla <laughs> I'm just gonna be screaming, go, God, listen, boy, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Wait, is he a is he a lizard boy? I thought there was a whole theory that it was the oh, lizard I think girl. They call him a he in the movie, don't they? Oh, classic Hollywood. 
Why do they have to <laughs> men? Why does everyone have to be men? <laughs> Obviously, they had to have a, a heterosexual relationship with him and Mothra. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tweet me at a woman with two ends. And that is it. It is. For the very first Fade to Black podcast. We will be back next week with more film chat. But until then, it is goodbye from Hannah Flint. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Clarice Lockway. (laughs) 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 And it is goodbye from me. Now, all that needs to be said is that it's time for us to fade to black.